0: you there?
1: I'm here. I'm here.
0: I remembered the first one. At least I think so. I was so frightened. I remember that. I couldn't find my thoughts. couldn't remember what a film looks like, how it worked. I grabbed onto the first thing that forced its way into focus. You probably don't even remember it now.
1: I remember, I remember all your, your pitches. 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 They replay, they replay in my, in mind, my like mind like someone sat someone on the sat button on the and button. died.
0: Maybe they'll rot away one day. Their bones too light to press down and you'll forget.
1: I doubt, I it. doubt it.
0: So what was it then, the first one? My first pitch in this pit? Or are you going to make me have to say it?
1: Cowmingo. Cow-mingo.
0: You do remember. It doesn't even make sense. Of all the animals to think of for a cheap hybrid B-movie, those two don't fit at all. The
2: magic, the magic of the magic movies of the movie. will make them fit.
0: You give yourself away, sentimentalist. For all I know, you are nothing but that black ball up there. Do you have eyes, and nose? Do you frown or smile when I pitch? In the dark, down here? I feel like I'm floating. Where did that start? I can't remember if there was a time before.
1: So what's your pitch? pitch?
0: (sighs) Calmingo. We start in a small desert town somewhere in the far south of the United States. A lone RV appears, placed in the middle of a dust storm. Inside, a wiry old man in shades hurriedly fights to close the RV's shitty windows that keep sticking. While he's doing this, a shadow appears in the thick dust outside. The wind increases, battering the RV, and the old man struggles to stay on his feet. Steadying himself, he finally manages to shut the RV's final window. He gazes around the inside of the RV, which is rocking and creaking as the strength of the dust storms hit it. At the window, he glances outside and from out of the dust, a cow walks forward into the wind. The old man follows the cow's progress with his gaze until the cow moves into the dust and is swallowed up by it. The scene switches to an extravagant mansion palm trees, ornate fountains, exotic animals, and sports cars. From a high balcony, a shadowed figure looks out towards the horizon to see a long bank of dust line it, slowly approaching. He turns, revealing his face and hurries into the mansion, taking a spiral staircase to the building's basement. He snaps his fingers and a middle-aged woman, napping with a straw hat pulled down over her face, wakes up, realising that something has alarmed the man. She follows him into an area underneath the mansion, initially appearing to be a bunker, but slowly different aspects appear, like strange machinery and empty pens. The man opens a heavy security door and they enter a bright, sterile-looking room, a flamingo held in a transparent box in the centre of it. The man and woman look at each other worriedly as the winds increase, howling to alarming levels. Outside, the storm intensifies, reaching the grounds of the mansion. Water from the fountains is sucked skywards in water spouts. Sports cars whirl around the immaculate lawns, Palm trees are plucked from the earth and thrown into the side of the building, battering through windows. The dust storm transforms into a mini dry hurricane, breaking apart the outside of the mansion. It tears away the structure of the building. The man and woman take cover in a corner of the bright room, its white light flickering on and off. The flamingo flaps its wings, panicked, trying to escape. One side of the room lifts away, and a cow comes crashing through loose bricks. Bright lights fizzle around the room as machines seem to overload and malfunction. A burst of blindingly intense light fills the screen and the noise stops. From out of the white walks a hazy figure, slowly coming into view. Calmingo is born from electricity and dust. can you pick me up there's no one else I can call I uh, I'm not sure how I got here. I know it's late I would walk back but it's too far there's a guy with me who says he knows you he's over by a tree on the other side of the road I don't know what he's doing can you pick me
1: up The secret is well, who steal water, a neighbor from another world, does who dwell in the jar. be afraid, as to this I never cease to wonder, so near at hand we and can't resist and the countenance about that or me. because we know that they are the same because there's less of it in order to get closer to it.
0: Can you pick me up? I know I said I wouldn't do this again but they left me. The group from that time we went to the coast? It's so dark out here, kind of peaceful. I keep hearing the sea. That's impossible, you know. Can you pick me up? Young male protagonist is hired to kill someone. He's sent out to a film set. When he's there he's given the name of the target. The target is an actor, famous one, household name, not A-list but respected, instantly recognizable. The film is the debut of a young director, The film has a lot of hype as the director dated a famous actor who cheated on her husband with him. The film consists of an ensemble cast as well as known actors and they are playing each other. Who they play was decided by the actors before shooting by picking straws. The actors are so successful it... Ugh. The actors are so successful at inhabiting their character that the actor who is the target for assassination no longer seems like himself. Instead, the actor who is playing him seems more more like him. The actor who is playing him seems more like him. The rest of the film is focused on the assassin as he wrestles with the question of which actor to kill.
2: Life, by Ben Hedged, the sun was shining in the dirty street, old women with shapeless bodies waddled along on their way to market, bearded old men who looked like the fathers of Jerusalem walked flat-footed, nodding back and forth, the tread of the processional surviving in Halsted Street, thought Moise, the young dramatist who was moving with the crowd, children sprawled in the refuse-laden alleys. One of them ragged and clotted with dirt stood half dressed on the curbing and urinated into the street. Wagons rumbled, filled with fruits and iron and rags and vegetables. Human voices babbled above the noises of the traffic. Moist watched the lively scene. Every day it's the same, he thought. The same smells, the same noise and people swarming over the pavements. I am the only one in the street whose soul is awake. There's a pretty girl looking at me. She suspects the condition of my soul. Her fingers are dirty. Why doesn't she buy different shoes? She thinks I am lost. In five years she will be fat. In ten years she will waddle with a shawl over her head. The young dramatist smiled. Good god, he thought. Where do they come from? Where are they going? No place to no place. But always moving. Shuffling. Waddling. Crying out. The sun shines on them. The rain pours on them. It burns. It freezes. Today they are bright with colour. Tomorrow they are grey with gloom. But they are always the same always in motion. The young dramatist stopped on the corner and looking around him spied a figure sitting on the sidewalk, leaning against the wall of a building. The figure was an old man. He had a long white beard. He had his legs tucked under him and an upturned tattered hat rested in his lap. His thin face was raised and the sun beat down on it, but his eyes were closed, asleep, mused Moise. He moved closer to him. The man's head was covered with long silky white hair that hung down to his neck and hid his ears. It was uncombed. His face in the sun looked like the face of an ascetic, thin, finely veined, he had a long nose and almost colourless lips and the skin on his cheeks was white, it was drawn tight over his bones, leaving few wrinkles, an expression of peace rested over him, peace and detachment, of the noise and babble he heard nothing, his eyes were closed to the crowded frantic street, he sat, his head back, his face bathed in the sun, smileless and dreaming, a beggar, thought noise, asleep, oblivious. Dead. All day he sits in the sun like a sun. Immobile. Like one of the old Alexandrian ascetics. Like a delicately carved image. He is awake in himself but dead to others. The waves cannot touch him. His thoughts. Oh to know his thoughts and his dreams suddenly the eyes of the young dramatist widened. He was looking at the beggar's long hair that hung to his neck. It's moving. He whispered half aloud. He came closer and stood over the old man and gazed intently at the top of his head. The hair was swaying faintly, each separate fiber moving alone. It shifted, rose imperceptibly and fell. It quivered and glided. Lice, murmured moist. He watched. Silent and asleep the old man sat with his thin face to the sun and his hair moved. Vermin swarmed through it, creeping, crawling, tiny and infinitesimal. Every strand was palpitating shuddering under their mysterious energy. At first Moise could hardly make them out, but his eyes gradually grew accustomed to the sight, and as he watched he saw the hair swell like waves riding over the water, saw it drop and flutter, coil and uncoil of its own accord. Vermin raised it up, pulled it out, streaming up and down tirelessly in vast armies. They crawled furiously like dust specks blown thick through the white beard. They streamed and shifted and were never still. They moved in and out, from no place to no place, but always moving. Frantic and frenzied, an old woman passed and with a shake of her head dropped two pennies into the upturned hat. Moise hardly saw her. He saw only the palpitating swarms that were now facing, easily visible, through the grey-white hair. Some ventured down over the white ascetic face, crawling in every direction, traveling around the lips and over the closed eyes, emerging suddenly in thick streams from behind the covered ears and losing themselves under the ever-moving beard. And Moise, his senses strained thought he heard a noise, a faint crunching noise, he listened, the noise seemed to grow louder, he began to itch but he remained bending over the head, he could hear them, like a far away murmur, a purring, uncertain sound, they are shouting and groaning, crying out, weeping and laughing, he mused, it is life, life, he looked up and down the crowded burning street with its frantic crowd, and smiled, life, he repeated, He walked away, before him floated the hair of the beggar moving as if stirred by a slow wind, and he itched, but who was the old man he thought, a young woman, plump and smiling, jostled him, he felt her soft hip pressing against him for a moment, a child running bayfoot through the street brushed against his legs, he felt its sticky fingers seize him for an instant and then the child was gone, on he walked, three young men confronted him for a second time, he passed between two of them, squeezed by their shoulders, a shapeless old woman bumped him with her back as she shuffled past. Two children dodged in and out, screaming and seized his arm to turn on. The young dramatist stopped and remained standing still, looking about him. Then he laughed. Life. He murmured again. And I am the old man. He added. I, I. <laughs>
1: Can you pick me up? I... I don't
0: know. The guy, the one from before, he wanted to go downtown like an idiot. I'd agreed to go with him. He started breathing funny and the car so freaked out and made him stop and got out. And now it's late and there's no one around. Maybe he's asthmatic. Can you pick me
1: up? I can inhale.
0: I've been inhaling so long I suffocated my microbiome.
2: One molecule from each lung full of air has been breathed
1: by everyone who ever lived. Apart from newborns, the air hasn't had the chance to circulate to yet. Breathe in, Genghis Khan. Breathe in, Shaka Khan. I inhale with such focus, the dog turned his face away from me
0: lifting its wacky tail, and I drew through its entire
1: body without it noticing.
0: You might like this one. If you do, will you move? Give me a sign that you're listening. Because I'm sick of you just staying up there still like that. Are you dead, asshole? Anyway, the title is Well, That Just Happened. Another reasonably young male protagonist. Looks like he used to be in a math rock band years ago black suit that appears to have shrunken onto him he's walking along an affluent street near twilight thin looks like he only eats by accident cut to shot of him in the back of a car someone else driving but unseen camera stays on him leaning as far out of the rear seat window as he can trying to catch flies in his mouth back to street he's fashionably dishevelled at all times immaculate white shirt creased in all the right places the tie he places with a specific kink that suggests he's needed to loosen it slightly meant to give the impression he's near passing out from how great he is he goes to a party and makes sure the conversation stays on the connection between dark rings around the eyes and bad liver function he's talking to a small enclosed circle behind them In another circle, a guy starts raising his voice. A couple start arguing, accusing each other of misdemeanours. It's difficult to pick up the thread. The girl storms off, leaving the room, with the guy resisting for a few seconds before hurrying after her. The protagonist looks about distractedly, turns to the group noncommittally and says, well, that just happened. The whole room quietly acknowledge it, A lot with stifled smirks, even more with eye contact. The comment helps get the room back on track. Next scene, he's using the line everywhere at the bus stop when someone takes forever getting the correct change for a fare, when someone drops something in the corner shop, when someone says something awkward and makes a quick exit. He says it to friends, acquaintances and strangers and studies the varied reactions. His friends mostly laugh, they are in with it. They know him and what he's doing. It's soon become integrated as part of his personality. Acquaintances vary the most in the spectrum of reactions, from confused politeness to cringy enthusiasm to dismissiveness. Strangers almost always are taken aback, where there's a pause and then a reluctant or half-hearted, amiable acceptance. Sometimes he gets the look of complete recognition, which is exhilarating, although he never gives off any sign that he thinks this. He tries to project two emotions or general demeanours in his daily existence, three if the situation is an extreme one and demands something extra. His use of, well, that just happened, escalates. He tries using it to apply to instances of greater and greater intensity. He seeks out tragedy, breakups, like the first time, offering to be their friend when they tell their boyfriend it's over. he will stay around the corner, making sure she's all right. Well, that just happened. He sets up accidents, making sure it looks like it's a coincidence he's in the area. Well, that just happened. Strangers move away from him. He makes notes. Next time, he sets a thin wire over the exit of a cycle path. Several people mill around. A girl on a mountain bike comes speeding down the cycle lane and flips over. Well, that just happened. He jerks his head around. A young woman, waist high jeans, head half shaved, the other side long with fluffy mauve highlights. She said it she said well that just happened the guy reaches for his tie, destroying his perfect kink he really does need air this time it spreads high school kids get a hold of it they apply it to anything and everything they do it runs through them mutating and a new strain appears free from its ironical origins into a deadly form post post meta sincerity well that just happened soon there is no discrimination between events of significance and any event that has ever happened ever the frequency of use of well that just happened skyrockets as everything that happens is deemed worthy of its application when every event is accompanied by well that just happened the act of saying Well, that just happened, becomes the event in itself. And so the phrase becomes involved in an infinite cycle, causing a form of cosmic paralysis. The guy watches and says nothing. This week's episode, I'm going to try and walk along this pathway. I'm still on crutches and maybe shouldn't be doing this, but I'll give it a try anyway. It feels more real out here. For the background on why I'm having to use crutches, then go to my previous episode where I explain in great detail about my operation and my dealings with the healthcare system. <sighs> the episode before that, I go through the situation with my boss and how he's been a complete arsehole about all this. If you saw me now struggling along this pathway beside a busy road just beyond some trees with woods on the other side, the light fading, you'd probably say it was my fault if I had an accident out here. That's the kind of guy he is. So anyway I'm trying to get into Dostoevsky. Because I'm using crutches when I walk I've not got my hands free and I'm on my phone. So I've, I've made a head brace with a stick on the front that dangles my phone in front of my face as I walk first time I tried it out, the cord attaching the phone to the pole was too long. When my strides are jerky, it kept swinging around and hitting me in the face. So now the cord is shorter. If my boss or my doctor saw me now, they'd both be arseholes about it. <laughs> when you read Dostoevsky backwards, it's supposed to help with neuroplasticity. So I figured I'd pick a book of his, seeing as I'd never read him, and read it that way and get the therapeutic benefits of that. Seems like a really good way to start reading them. What you do is you select a book. I'll probably pick a shorter one as it has to be the whole book because what happens is you read the book backwards but the words forwards and record yourself and then replay the recording backwards. So you listen to the book forwards but the words are backwards. That way you get the galling effort it takes to read Dostoevsky, and all of it the, the other stuff like insight into the human condition etc is processed at an unconscious level so you don't have to deal with that shit immediately but your mind does it secretly while you get on with other things I put a quote on my phone it's in front of me but moving about I think I can g- get it Jesus <laughs> you you can be sincere sincere. Yeah, you can be sincere. Oh, Jesus. You can be sincere and still be stupid. Hell
1: yeah. Jesus Christ.
0: I really shouldn't keep looking into those dark trees. Can you pick me up? I've really messed up this time. (sighs) Why do places are dumb? And the guy came around, the guy from before. Except this time he was all apologetic and shit. But I had no idea what he was supposed to be sorry for, so I just freaked out thinking he was trying to make excuses for coming to my place unexpected. Which is creepy when you think about it especially when the sun is due to set in 30 minutes or whatever. Anyway, he starts apologizing for apologizing and goes to put his hands up to show he means no harm, etc. But I mistake this for him about to reach up and do something weird and get my bag and swing it at him just to warn him off. And the buckle accidentally catches his face and cuts him across his cheek and nose and now there's blood everywhere and he's screaming, literally screaming. I no I'm apologizing for getting him to apologize for apologizing and all of a sudden we kind of stop and stare at the stupidness of the situation hits us and we start laughing. But as he's laughing he starts to get really hysterical, crying with laughter and it goes on so long I'm not sure if he's still finding the situation funny or if he's losing it or in pain or using the laughter to bite his tongue while underneath he's secretly making plans to do something funny. So I start swinging the bag again, and he's completely confused this time. I'm now sure he thinks I'm a psycho, which makes me think he's going to feel like he has to defend himself. So I push him backwards into the hallway outside my place. To cut a long story short, we ended up walking around for hours, and I think I understand him better than I've understood anyone in my entire life. But I turned away for a second, and when I looked back, he was gone. Can you,
1: Can you pick me up? Time is moving on.
0: It is, isn't it?
1: I haven't got much more. more.
0: That means I haven't either, is that right?
1: I'd like to hear your pitch. pitch.
0: I haven't got one. I'm all out. Nothing has come to me.
1: Well, Well, you know what what that means.
0: Wait, I'll try. A woman waits in darkness as water drips around her, slimed walls enclose a narrow shaft and she hovers on thick oily liquid, bobbing as she sits, a strange unseen force holding her in place. Black shine cascades down from above, leaving fleeting streaks over curved brickwork, in and out of vision. A globe, as fierce as a black sun, peers silently over the well's edge, somewhere at its top. A head too obscured by the dank shadow world outside the well for its features to be seen. Instead, the head only implies its wants in its stillness, its black face a shrine. It watches and suggests notions. A growl reaches up from below, slops of liquid echo around her feet, as though a muscly creature has curled itself roughly through broiling oil beneath her. She sees only brief glitters on what she guesses to be undulating banks of wet, low in the well, the scarce light breaking like stray crackles of uninvited electricity, dying before fulfilling any potential swallowed by the bottom of the well. In her dreams, she sees small figures crawling along the walls, rolling over themselves, slipping on black jelly, falling down the brick into darkness. The more she looks up, the more her neck hurts, bent back and near spasm, the cruelty of her one focal point, the head, turning her blood torrid, Out from the wall echoes a sound, low, resonant, like a voice, and then more voices, ghostly muse, incomprehensible. They glide slowly to feel the shadow around her, pouring through the air. It is like they ache, it is as if all time is captured in their tones. The head observes from on high. She becomes aware of him. Maybe he moved and she missed it with her conscious eye. Maybe there is some deeper shift within him that attracts her attention. The black orb stagnates, but all of her senses prickle as she concludes she is being looked at. Why else would the dark circle lean over the world's edge, silently black, if not to monitor her in some way? A smell wafts around her, leafy and natural. It's sweet in the shadow, a scent out of place in the dreary well. The dark head moves, almost imperceptibly, but she can tell. There is nothing else to do in the well other than look for tiny changes in the gloom. The palm is releasing its scent, the head said. It happens from time to time, so far, no one has predicted when, the palm has its secrets. He laughed and fell silent again. Two loud splats echoed around the well, like heavy drops hitting thick water right beside her. The head laughed again, and after a pause, more drops splashed near. My teeth are cracked. Liquid lulled, breaking against the side of the well, A sheen carried downwards, some mysterious light from above falling gradually to glide a gauzy dimness to meet her. As the light travelled to land directly in front of her, it was caught by moving globules, glistening red and sinking down the sodden brick. Instinctively she tried to back away, but whatever force held her in place kept her restricted to a spot of its choosing. Seeing no option other than to accept her position, she squinted her eyes towards the space where the globules should be, but the area had returned to black. A rush of noise from below caused her body to convulse. Brash and deafening, the noise climbed, as if the thick liquid had transmogrified into a torrent of deadly glacier water, broken free as giants of ice and years split violently. The voices in the well re-emerged, but made different. Whispers turned to cries, insensible pleading all around. Drips swept across the dark, harrowing her face. The liquid turned to bleed with acid blood stinging. With a monstrous roar, the liquid reared up, known only by the bursting swell of sound around her, its exact movement hidden in the darkness now rendered unfamiliar. She clenched her fingers shut tight, small hard objects caught in her palms. Down below, bellows melded with the ecstatic wash of the well's tumult, and she clenched her body inwards, bracing for any impact that could come. Suspended in the well, her limbs retracted and her frame curled into a jagged ball. A light gathered, far down below, a pinpoint, gaining size steadily. Scum atop the liquid retracted and clung to the wall, making a circle of slimy filth. The water churned and the light in the well's depths continued to grow, a light born of darkness, the opposite of anything made to illuminate nature. Soon it swam nearer, filling the putrid liquid of the well and showing the dim stink of the place graceful black fronds twisted and waltzed around it, long leaves waving as if to chaperone the light upwards. The leaves birthed and stretched backwards in a synchronised display, unfurling, their tips eventually reaching the perimeter of the well, brushing the brick, palm leaves glistening darkly, calling forth the light. The underwater ball of light swirled from within, a whirlpool of evil incandescence, shimmering with the glee of awakening. As it went to break the surface, she blinked. On opening her eyes, the monstrous noise stopped in an instant and light filled the well. Beneath her, the waters rested, still as a mirror, a rosy hue on the underwater walls, the well stretching down infinitely. Around her, the light swirled onto brick penetrating it, illuminating the walls from inside. Pictures form, animating, coming out from the smeary light, in all the colours of flame. The surface of the brick becomes transparent, taking on the contours of a snake's shedded skin, dirt and filth falling away, and it glows inside. Scenes in an infernal zoetrope appear within, Panoramas depict beast men adorned in reptilian scales, eyes wild in frenzy, riding chariots, shooting guns. Vast plains covered with thousands of naked men as they run from a monster as tall as the sky, pursuing them, its body surrounded with thunderclouds. Bare breasted harridans using their jaws to tear the limbs from thrashing infants. Obese adolescents gang roping cattle eating the beasts alive as they take them, cloaked women tipping poisons into the open mouths of emaciated captives, and clawed boys arrested in their development, slashing the throats of their fathers. Down into the depth of the world, the scenes play behind brick and the movement of the images creates a playful soup of light and shadow underwater. She raises her head and her eyes meet the head's own eyes. For the first time she glimpses his face but before she can fully bring him into focus the silence of the world breaks and the whole place shakes. Her instincts rule her again and she huddles tightly, closing her eyes, bracing herself. A loud plop breaks the water next to her. She opens her eyes and amid the confusion of light projected from the walls of the well and the continuing scenes of dismay and suffering, she picks out a cylindrical object, bobbing curiously in the quiet water. She reaches her arms forward and with her hands still clenched, brings her fists together to firmly press onto each side of the object. A hairy ball, it lifts easily and she turns it over water running clear, bringing it slowly to rest on her knees. The head blinks, blood and bruises over its skin, a clean cut at the neck, leaking clotted liquid onto her. It shook me free, the head says. She nods, lost for words. You see, I have been watching you, but only because fate placed my head to gaze in your direction they cut off my head a long time ago along with the heads of many others and disposed of the bodies by throwing them down this well my body is somewhere down there in the deepest parts of the well rotted away with the rest of the bodies of the executed sometimes a head acts like it is conscious after it has been severed did you know that even going so far as to form words after being removed from its body My head was cut from me, and I didn't feel the pain, and I could still see, still think, and blink. After the execution, I was numbed by shock, and I travelled here in the back of a van, nestled between the freshly dead corpses of other men who had been decapitated like me. My body was the last to be thrown into the well. I watched them release it, my head clutched by the hair, carried by the executioner's assistant, ready to chuck me down to join the rest of me. The head paused to lick away blood that had collected around its lips, and spat to clear its mouth. When I realised I was about to be flung into a well, I started babbling in panic. The person carrying me dropped my head in terror and left, leaving my head to roll towards the open well. My head tumbled over and over and I saw the well's edge getting closer, just in time to prevent myself. My head, I mean. from falling into the well, I poked out my tongue, which was enough to stop my head toppling over the edge. I came to rest in the position you saw me all this time. When the man dropped me, it broke my teeth, which have been wobbly ever since, which is part of the reason why I haven't talked to you very much fearing they would fall out, which some of them did earlier. She glanced down and slowly opened her clenched palms, several blooded teeth resting on her skin. I have them, she said, or at least some of them. The head gave a wide gap-toothed smile. She picked a tooth up between thumb and finger and slowly moved it towards the head's mouth. Sensing her intentions, the head opened wide while she fixed the teeth back in place as best she could, restoring their wobbliness. As great scenes of degradation and debasement played on the well's walls, waters began to rise, lifting the woman upwards. Nearer the top, a dim sponge of light blanketed the final few metres of the shaft, casting a cold sheen over the fiery depths. In a flood of red water, thick as oil, the well ejected them, throwing them across barren land, bleak clouds the colour of burnished pewter rushing overhead in ferocious wind. For days she walked over plains where dead plants dipped broken seed heads and the ground bloated with dry cracks and erosion. After a time, under tumbling clouds which always threatened rain but never burst, Moisture blew across the flats and high chalky banks struck out of the earth. Resting with her back to hard chalk deposits, she stared out at a far horizon, slashed open with strips of ruby red and charcoal. Anchoring the head between her knees, she positioned it upside down so that it could gaze out at the slow sunset as the misty orb darkly lit quiet land. Taking her hair, and a needle she'd fashioned from the bone of a long-dead mammal. She set about stitching together the neck hole, finding enough loose skin to close together under the head. She knotted the final hair and returned the head to look at her the right way up. She kissed it tenderly, careful not to wiggle the loose teeth. Then she lifted herself to wander across plains and fields, under low twilight skies, The head, tucked snugly under her arm, whistled at the risk of losing a few teeth.
1: Voiced by Rebecca
2: Gransden. The part of the head taken by Sean Kilpatrick. Featuring life by Ben Hetched. Reed by Daniel. A well by Emily Dickinson. Translated into Latin and back to English again using an online translator.